Hi, this is Dave Pryor from Leading Agile Sound Notes. First, I'd like to thank you for listening to these interviews. I really enjoy getting to do them, and I hope they offer valuable information that helps you, your teams, and your organization amp up your ability to deliver on the outcomes you're looking for. Second, I'd like to ask for your help. We're trying to find ways to reach more people with the podcast, and one of the primary ways that we do that is through iTunes. To increase our ranking and get seen by more people, we need one thing, reviews. So if you'd be willing to take a moment and leave us a review on iTunes, that's going to go a long way towards helping us increase the visibility for this podcast and get it seen by more people so we can help more folks. I'll have a link posted to the iTunes page in the show notes for this podcast, and if you can spare a few minutes, we would be really grateful for your help. And if iTunes isn't your thing, we still want your feedback. So you can always just send an email to dave.prior at leadingagile.com. Anything you have to say, good or bad, will be very valuable to us. Or if you've got a question you'd like us to address in an upcoming podcast, just send that as well. Again, dave.prior at leadingagile.com. Thanks very much for listening. We hope you enjoy the podcast. One of the most important things leaders do is create learning and sharing organizations. Like if you don't have teams that talk across each other, learning and sharing the stuff that they're doing, then you're basically saying, we expect everybody to reinvent the same wheel. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Today I have somebody new for the podcast. So I'm going to try not to butcher your last name, Lee. So Lee, don't no say anything. Let me, let me try to say it. We okay. see you go. That's pretty good. How yeah. do you, how do you actually pronounce you. it correctly? Uh, we see Hugo. We okay. see Hugo. There you go. Close. And yeah. you, and you're a big OU fan. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I'm, right. So I'm down in uh, Austin, Texas. Um, I did go to, to the University of Texas once upon a time. Okay. Um, Austin's kind of home base. I've been a couple other places, but I spent time out in Silicon Valley, spent time in Mexico City. Uh, but Austin's home. Okay. And what is like the main yeah. focus of the work that you do? I mean, we know you work in Agile, but what's like the thing that gets you out of bed every morning? Um, I really, I really love to work with um, leaders in in the organization to to help uh, scrum masters, to help coaches. Um, I like to, you know, when when you're in a transformation, a lot of times you might be standing up a, a transformation office, um, and you'll bring in uh, program coaches to help within the system from from that you know that organization and, and helping them on their path like like i'd love to be able to do this i kind of feel passionate about coaching and and how do they start and begin so i love working with them um, with coaches that, that aspire to be great agile coaches well okay so we we had a question prepared but since you just said that i'm going to start with a different question because this is a question okay. i get all, right. all the time i get a lot of yeah. people in my class and some of them have only been like doing scrum for the two days that they've been in class but other people might have been doing it for you know a year or two and i get a lot of times i get the question once i talk about coaching and how awesome that job is people want to know how do i become a coach like what do i have to do to become a coach and i don't really have an answer because that's not something i intentionally try to do it just kind of happened to me um yeah what, okay. what kind of tips do you have for somebody that wants to become a coach so I, I see I see people I see different kinds of coaching first of all so I see some people when they when you talk about coaching coaching is a very overloaded term you know first of all right so you can be talking about coaching in terms of the the professional sense right the international coaching federation you've gone through you've you've become certified as a coach and oftentimes those kinds of coaches are life coaches yeah um, or you might see people who are certified executive 
coaches or some people who are very interested in organizational, they become organizational system coaches. Okay. Right? The ORSC coach, right? So there's certain, there's very, there's paths for what's professional coaching. And uh, my own path is not that way. So, so what I say is I've, I grew up at, in a traditional program, you know, kind of world, right? Waterfall and said, and, and been a part of teams that were using XP practices that kind of grew and said, there's a better way to this. Yeah. And so I saw that and said, this is really what I'm, I'm passionate about. Like, how do I help organizations work in, in, a, in an agile way and, you know, eliminate some of that stupid stuff that we did around waterfall, right? And and the organizational impediments that we created. We thought we were doing a good job by putting checkpoints and, and reviews on everything. And how do we help in, introduce agility more into the organization? So I see myself coming in that way. And then I, I learned more about coaching through reading, through uh, through conferences, through workshops. And uh, so I, I, I refer to myself kind of like a, like a pragmatic coach. Okay. Like I, I, I do a pretty good job asking questions, right? I think the key to coaching is like learning how to ask great questions. Because okay. if, you're, if you're familiar with Lisa Adkins' work, right? She talks about agile coaching. Yeah. And coaching agile teams, right, is her seminal book. And there's sort of the stance of the coach. And sometimes a coach is a coach, right? Asks good questions, remains very neutral, um, helps the person to discover what um, is best for them, right? You can think life coaching through that way, but sometimes teams as well. <clears throat> and they might be facilitating, they might be mentoring, they might be training or teaching. Yeah. Those are all stances of a coach. And so, so some people find passion in, in teaching and training. Some people are great mentors. Some people are want to be pure coaches and, uh, and focus on that. So there's lots of different paths. So I would encourage anybody who's like, like just start from, from Lissa's book is a great place to begin and go, what really kind of inspires me down that path. Okay. Now, do yeah. you think there's a certain amount of experience people need to have? Like, cause I, I do see people who will take like a two day class and just put in LinkedIn that they're a coach. Um, yeah. Which is scary. I, I, I do think experience is required because um, you, you have to have, you, first of all, you have to be authentic, Right. Being, being a coach means you're coming to a place of pure authenticity and integrity. Okay. Right? And so if you don't have a kind of a base to draw from to help people see and relate to their own experiences, I think you'll find it very difficult to be okay. a coach. It doesn't mean you have to be, you know, bald like me to get all that experience, but you, can, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we, you have to be able to bring your own self into it. So if you haven't worked in a team, if you haven't been part of an agile team, if you haven't um, uh, tried to lead people. I think, you know, sometimes that, that makes it very difficult to, to transition. Okay. I, I just thought of one additional question before we get onto the actual topic of the podcast. Are there, when you're interviewing people that say that they're coaches, do you have any kind of screening questions? Like if they can't answer this, they're just not, not somebody I'm ready to work with or not somebody that's ready to work with me. I, I want to know, um, I, I kind of want to know what their philosophy of coaching is. Okay. First of all, um, that's just sort of set the ground. And then I want to see, tell me about, tell me about a time when you thought that you were doing a great job with coaching. What was that like? What, what, tell me about that scenario. Again, I'm listening for asking questions, how they help reflect, you know, there's different coaching models. So do they have a model like uh, like grow or, yeah. um, or they use ORID facilitation, right? Where are they coming from in that approach? So I can really hear that they've, that they've, that the they've thought about the, yeah, the craft of coaching, like where they're coming from in that. 
Okay. Yeah. And then I want to know when coaching failed. Ah, there right? we when go. Did they okay. really, when did it really not work well at all <laughs> yeah. and why, you know, um, because you learn a lot from that. And, the, and hopefully you've, you see in the person that they recognize and they learn as well. Yeah. I'm glad that you yeah. said that second part because that's always my screening question is like, what do you suck at? What was the last time you failed? Because I think if you can't reflect and say like, okay, I'm, I might be, I mean, like, I feel like I'm really good at my job, but there's some things about what I do, some aspects that at any given point, I'm like, well, this part right now, this sucks. I have to fix this. And I <laughs> yeah, think if sure. you don't have that, there. <laughs> yeah, but if you don't have the experience and the confidence to be able to say like, I'm really good, but this one thing, this is broke right now. Um, people that yeah. can't, that can't be open about open with themselves and others about, um, areas that need improvement or things that they've tried that totally blew up in their faces. I think that that is like a big warning sign for me. Sure. Sure. But, all right. On to the main topic. Yeah. So when okay. we started talking before we, we did the interview, you mentioned that leadership is one of your, your key things that you like to focus on. And can you, can you kind of share your approach to that and, and the aspects of leadership that you gravitate towards? Yeah. So let me, let me kind of set it up just a little bit. Which is, you know, when you think about an agile transformation, right? Leaving agile, we're in the business of helping companies in their agile journey, right? And that often means that, you know, they're going from from a heroic kind of situation or waterfall and they and they need to be better for some reasons, right? They have a they had they've discovered a kind of goal that they need to help attain and they believe that that agility will help get them there. So right. So leading agile, right, we help progress them through from that heroic stage through the different base camps to help stabilize the system, reduce their batch size, right? Improve their technical practices, um, right? Keep and progress on that, on that path. Okay. So one of the first parts of that, of that journey, right? Is understanding the organization and how work flows and designing the system, right? with the system led approach to the transformation, right? We begin with system, we infuse the practices and believe that the culture will follow from that. So in that structure, right? Understanding the work, oftentimes you have, you know, especially in large organizations, we're not dealing with just single teams that are fully encapsulated, right? That's the, they struggle because those large organizations have dependencies and all that kind of stuff. And we're trying to expose that. So from, you have a, you know, you might have like a three-tier model where you have a delivery team that's actually executing on the work. You have a program or a product team as a second layer that's thinking about like at the feature level, they're setting up those funnels and exploring the rightness of the product. And, and at the at a third level, you have a portfolio that's a group of product and aggregate and helping the organization do prior, you know, big, big epic prioritization. Uh, they're trying to say where we're helping to direct, you know, maybe sometimes we're making uh, a capacity, large capacity based decisions. Right. So we got the epic at the portfolio, the feature at the product and, the, and this delivery team are doing stories. Right. And we work and understand what, you know, what are the right roles to be involved in those kinds of teams to help that system to deliver. Okay. Well, one of the, one of those roles that traditionally gets kind of left out that doesn't have a place is that manager, like a first line manager of people who work in the, 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 the system of delivery, like a development now, manager. What are they? Yeah. Like a development, like your traditional development manager or sometimes program managers are like, you know, what, do, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, if you think from a waterfall view, you've been there or uh, those development managers they they became successful because they they were they had a handle they had a control they had a whip command and control 
Yeah, they had a whip. They knew <laughs> they knew what teams were supposed to do. I've made a beautiful Gantt chart and a plan, and let's just go do it, right? Yeah. And, and here's they this make urgent it happen. stakeholder. Right. There's this urgent stakeholder thing, and and they get you uh, coming in, and they, yeah, I'm going to need you to work this weekend, right? You know, to help get this stuff done. So, in an agile sense, you can think about like the flow the flow of work, right? Is is supported through the structure. So you've got product owners and uh, uh, chief product owners that own the the purpose, the the, the reason for the, the things that are in the backlog. Yeah. yeah, the why they own the why, and you have um, delivery teams if they're if they're well encapsulated that they can you know if the backlog is well structured. Right, it, Agile's just three things: teams and backlogs and working tests and product. So if you've got a good backlog and you've got a team that's well encapsulated, they can just pull the work. So where does that development manager fit in? They're like, well, shoot, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do now. Yeah. And yeah, so they so they struggle. I actually, I have this, help. I'm going to interrupt for one second because I have a yeah. posted from a class I did a week and a half ago. Um, okay, cool. Parking lot topic, which just says the manager idle in scrum teams. Or manager okay. role, I guess, in scrum teams. It looks like idle and role at the same time, and I guess it could be either one. But yeah, what what do you do yeah. with this poor development manager, especially if they don't have a system that is structured to support this kind of work? Right. Yeah. So that. Um, so I think there's a couple different solutions, right? And there's no one perfect answer. And if you look through, you know, lots of different frameworks, you're going to find, I think, different approaches. But so here's here's my experience, which is that first line manager is really uh, they're trying to to set up and enable that uh, that team that system of delivery right? like teams don't have the authority to make teams typically a lot of times it's the managers that have the that authority to create a team and so you really need them on board saying how do we help think about the system as a whole that structure okay right and and creating you know what are the things the essential essential components of that team that are necessary for delivery and how do we help to build that so that's where I, that's one thing i want them to do is to be able to set up those teams so that they can be successful the next thing i really want them thinking about is like how the work flows through are we seeing impediments in the flow of work do can they help remove some of those those system level dependencies that exist and that you know that's why sometimes that that i think that manager might be you know on that product team or that portfolio team you know you have a representative if there's a number of teams that are involved right. there so i think you know looking at that flow is a key piece as well and then and if you just think about the, the you know that team and what they need to be able to deliver on their on their purpose the why the, the reason that they exist you know, you're thinking about capability and so that's where I think like the, a lot of the HR aspect comes in is like helping teams to build their capability. And so at a team level, I'm looking at, right, in order to, if we're building software, we've got to have this kind of, you know, these kinds of developers, we've got to have good tests involved and build out. We might, you know, build infuse some architecture in there. Uh, you know, maybe you have BAs, right? But how do you make, how do you help those people to be really great at their craft? Okay. From a capability perspective, yeah, and then of course, and you can scale that up and go as managers within this, say, expedition. How do we help improve the system of capability? Like we're talking across these teams and saying, you know, building heat maps and going, you know what, like testing across the board is really a problem for us 
in our organization. And maybe we need to make some investment to help raise that capability overall because it's a, it's an impediment for all of our teams. Yeah, okay. does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, yeah. The one the question that kind of popped into my head when you were talking through it, especially when you got to the thing about looking at flow, is if I am one of those managers, I'm assuming that I probably got that job because I am the guy that made it happen. I got the thing yeah. dragged across the line. <laughs> I cracked the whip. I got everybody yeah. to march and get it all done. But now I'm I'm not making it happen anymore. And that can you comment a little bit on the challenges of the switch of mindset or or what kind of advice you have for people trying to let go of the whip and make sure that the yeah. horse has what it needs to be able to run. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a, let me, there's a generic sense there first, and then I'll go to the, the more agile sense. So the generic sense, right. People get promoted because they were great at doing some role. You know, if you were a developer and you might became a development lead and then now all of a sudden you're like, Hey, I'm the manager now. Like you're doing such a great job. We want to make you the manager. Yeah. Except those skills, right? Those skills of being a manager (laughs) are are not developing code. Right. Right. They're like people, they're people related and they're totally different. So anyway, so I think there's a broad failure of the system in in how we think about people who are, should be promoted. But anyway, (laughs) when you think about like, like this, uh, from an agile sense, like how do I get out of that command and control mindset? If I was used to owning and directing all of the work, and now my role is really, I want to help them see that they're facilitating. So instead of telling, I want managers to start asking. Yes, I know that they they, they know that answer, right? Yeah. I, they probably got that experience, but to help that team to be a really great empowered team, You've got to help them to to recognize it themselves. Okay. And really great managers, I think, become coaches. Huh. Right? All They've right. got a coaching mindset. I think that that's like like if you're thinking way in the future, right? If you live, you know, like much like our base camp, we way in the future of the of an agile team's transformation, they get to base camp five because they become really great at encapsulating it and delivering a great product and reflecting on that product, et cetera, right? Yeah. Really great managers first start as as leaders and asking questions, as facilitating and enabling, okay. and that might lead them in the, to a path of coaching. Okay, that's great. You have a dog? Yeah. It, introduce the dog. No, this is, uh, this is I got two right here. Okay. Frankie, uh, that's short for Frankenstein. All right. Uh, and since it's, it's, it's seasonal, it's, uh, it's the day after Halloween. Yeah. Dios de Muertos. Frankie has come down from her roost and has decided she needs to go outside. Okay. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take a trip to the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I, I think it's important to acknowledge special guests when they show up. Um, when you were talking through the, the you know, the, about the transition from being a doer to being somebody who supports those who do, um, I'm thinking about the fact that right now we've got four different generations in the workforce and different ways of uh-huh. looking at roles and the fact that like I'm, I'm generation X. So it was all about, you know, putting in your time, paying your dues. And there's other generations where yeah. like I could see somebody in a younger generation going through school, studying nothing but organizational management, like organizational change. How do I work with people? And, and, and having this path of moving into a role where they are in charge of people who have maybe been doers for a really long time. And I was just wondering if you can comment on some of the challenges that they might experience there or things that they could do to kind of work through that and gain 
the trust of the people that have been, you know, down fixing the car engines all day long? Yeah, that's a really great question. So, so I, I, I am also Generation X. Uh, I have uh, two uh, daughters, one's in college, one's out of college. And uh, obviously I've worked with in, in, in my career lots of um, uh, younger people, you know, joining the workforce. And I do believe that because of our, our digital age, um, yeah. that people have just grown up with connectedness, that they expect that people work together, right? They expect there to be a level of connectedness. Yeah. So, so, so. At I a think level the of trust with there, that, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Like that's the default. The yeah. default is that we collaborate and work together. Right. Yeah. And, and generation X. Myself, I'm already like, what the default. hell it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. My default was, you know, here's the thing, understand the thing, go do the thing. Show me that you did the thing. Yeah. Right. Prove it first. And so, so if you're, if you're talking as a new, a new manager, right. Who's, who's, uh, let's say, you know, new to the workforce, um, and, and they're trying to be a great agile leader. They've already got a lot of the things ingrained, which is that, that, collaborative and communicative um, environment, right? Like at their core. Yeah. Now, the, the thing that I see struggle in is some of those face-to-face -face kinds of things, right. right? Like digitally, fantastic. We use the systems, we're all slacking, we're, we've got, you know, 24-7 ability to reach out, I just send you a Snapchat or whatever, right? Like that, that's all fine but it's in the it's in the the face-to-face -face conversation or the, the willingness to go and like if i want to torture my daughter i make them call somebody like to actually talk on the phone <laughs> right yeah yeah and so that's that's a skill that needs to be built and developed so when when so yes yes to being great leaders yes to creating these these collaborative environments which are the are foundational to agile yeah that, but also then focus on that emotional intelligence aspect of face-to-face -face working with people and reading people. Yeah. Right. Because that's, that's, I think that's really important as a manager is to be able to, or leader, I should, I should stop saying manager as a leader. I mean, I always, when I say manager, I, I have Im, implicit in that, but they, that they're great leaders, right. right? They're not, they're not this, you know, man, uh, manufacturing store manager, right? Yeah, right. That's right. They're not Lombard. He was in my head a minute ago, and yeah, I couldn't I get tell. the name he out. He said the so thing about working all weekend. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, See, that was where I was. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. wondering, you know, when you were saying that, the thing about this this understanding that this pattern exists, are, you know, whereas maybe an older generation might feel like the opposite of the pattern exists. Um, it's almost like there's this, and younger people can trust faster because they we fixed a problem or a problem has been addressed where they can walk into a room and believe that we're all even we're all going to communicate we're all we're all good at our jobs whereas there's another yeah. generation that that believes the opposite unless you prove your worth to me i don't trust you at all so it's almost like that theory x theory y thing across a generational divide and i can see where like in a leadership role especially now that that's finding your way through that, that's very challenging. Like finding a way to be a servant leader if you are the person that's come up with the trust in a room full of people that don't have the trust, that's a tricky it, kind of order it, to it, fill. It is. And, I, and I've, certainly, I've certainly 
seen that and helped coach um, some leaders with that, right? And 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 first, like I said, first thing to do with 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 leaders in an agile environment is to help uh, change the behavior of telling and get them into asking and facilitating. Right? Okay. Just, just just start doing that, right? That's like like step one. We're just our, our shuhari of that of that growth. There is just let's let's just ask, ask questions. When you want to tell somebody, then just start using good what and how questions instead. Okay. And make sure that we're we're helping the people to discover their own purpose, right? Because that helps them to be empowered. So in that in that journey now, so that's that's a good thing. Now, so now we're thinking about okay, the team's thinking about how and, and making sure they understand the purpose, right? Um, and that they're that they've got clear direction. So now the leader, like how are we facilitating trust within the team, yeah, within the organization, right? And that's where I that's where like um, so, being a new person to leading agile, the influence trust loop is really great. Yes, right? I love think that. About, I'm right? going to make you, sure to include a link yeah. to that because I think it's really important. It it is, and so when you're thinking about you know, okay, of course that leader they've got the access, they, you know, and and they because they're they're you know they're the manager, right? So they've yeah. already got the influence. It's explicit. It's not implicit, right? So you have explicit uh, uh, influence. And so then they have to think about that, how they're building on that trust side. So how do we show, tell, create safe environment for people, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the very best thing for a leader to create trust is when you get a failure in the team of some kind. That's your that's your moment. That's your opportunity, right? I'm talking about like when did you fail? Yeah. Like to be able to take those moments where everybody's expecting the hammer, everybody's expecting the post mortem, the yeah. executive support, quote unquote, right? We've got a, you know, we've got we've got our executives that are going to come on a call, you know, three times a day to support us during this crit set, right? Yeah. <laughs> we we've got the opportunity to change that and to help show that. You know, to do blameless postmortems. Yeah, we don't need example, the guillotine. Right? We've got other ways. We don't need the guillotine. We, that a thing happened. Okay, let's just be factual in this thing, yeah. right? And now they can facilitate the conversation. Like that's where I love that Orid method of facilitation. And one example is that what, gut, now what, you know, or so what, and now what, okay. right? So what happened, right? Fact, just the facts, right? right? What, and then, and then, what does our gut tell us about that? Right. This is what do we, how do we feel about what that was? And then, so what? So, what are the things in that environment that we think we might need to do based on what we've seen there? And now, what? What's the decision that we can make as a base of that? Right. So, we we have good facilitation decisional frameworks that leaders can apply in those moments of failure that help the team to see that it's not because you know that people are bad, right? Or there's a, there's a, you know, they, they know how to bring that together so the team can make the decisions about those yeah. and it can just treat it as a learn, as a learning opportunity. Like what did we learn from that? Yeah. Those are the most important things. So if you look at it like a um, gift, because that's actually what it is, it's giving you a gift that you might not want, but you probably need. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then as leaders, right. So back to what leaders do in an agile organization, so taking that failure then, how do we help share the learning across the organization, right? Okay. One of the most important things leaders do is create learning and sharing organizations. Like if you don't have teams that talk across each other, 
learning and sharing the stuff that they're doing. Yeah. And you're basically saying, we expect everybody to reinvent the same wheel. Right? Okay. And so they, they must build the capabilities, right? Like we talked earlier and share those across, like help people see like, Hey, here's a thing we did. Oh, I want to be able to do that thing too. Can you help show us how, like, let somebody come over and do, do brown bags or lunches, lunch and learns, you know, to, to, to build that community. And then those failures, those things where we're expecting the hammer to come down, how do we help share those so that others can learn from that um, scenario as well? So they don't have to repeat that, that same, that same mistakes. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So learning and sharing organizations, like, man, when you see those things happening, you know that you're creating a great environment, right? And it started from the structure. Yeah. We built the practices and that's some of those cultural things that emerge that come from the top the right down thing. so right yeah yeah so leaders are critically important in that agile transformation you just have to show them the, where what they're supposed to do okay now with that phrase can you comment i know we've got to go in a minute but can you comment on how that relates to the role of a scrum master yeah so scrum masters are junior managers I mean, honestly, like if you think about career path and progressions and, and, and that sort, um, scrum masters are implicit leaders, right? They don't have that explicit title, right? Like, I, like I'm the, the manager, the function, the, 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 the person who is a, an HR manager. Yeah. But they are leading teams. They're learning that, right? And having to build that agency to, um, you know, use the influence and the title of, of, of Scrum Master to help build that through the through their group. So I think Scrum Masters are on the path of leadership and they're learning it from a encapsulated team level. Okay. Right. So they're, so they're doing the same kinds of stuff, just at a much smaller, smaller level. Right. And so a great leader knows that that Scrum Master is their right hand person. Right, like they're the one who's helping to to make the sausage. Right, they're really getting in there with the team and and getting stuff done. So, if I'm if I'm trying to be a great leader, it's I'm using that my scrum master because they're really they're the one who are in there every single day. They're they're helping me to create this great organization. Yeah, this is awesome. Well, maybe we can do another podcast in the future that focuses specifically on that. I think that would be really valuable to folks. Um, I appreciate you taking time out for this. This was a great conversation. Oh, happy to do that. Thanks, Dave. Um, if people have follow-up questions for you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Sure. Um, so uh, the trick is you have to spell my last name, <laughs> Lisa Hugel. Yeah. Well, I will include the actual uh, spelling of it in the show notes with a link to your, <laughs> your stuff. But. Good. Okay. So you can you can easily find me on – if you can get through the Lisa Hugel part, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, shoot me a message there. Happy to, to do that. Um, uh, my email is just lee at weseyhugel.com. So, again, if you can get through the Weseyhugel part, you can find me. All right. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much. This was great. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Great conversation. <laughs>